Hello and welcome to another edition of the Guardian ID podcast. I'm Zach Martin, editor of the Guardian ID magazine. Today we're speaking with Sid Seidner, Director of Security Engineering and Master Engineer at ACI Worldwide, a company that sells software to payment card processors. Each year it seems like there are more and more payment card data breaches, but yet um, nothing has really been done so far. There are some different proposals being talked about. Um, the three most popular are, are end-to-end encryption, EMV or chip and pin, and dynamic crypt- cryptograms with contactless smart cards. Sid's going to talk to us today about these technologies, um, the pros and cons, and uh, what we might be seeing. Sid, thanks for joining us today. Sure, Zach. It's a pleasure being here. How would end-to-end encryption protect payment card data? Well, the payment card industry has been pretty successful with pin encryption, and uh, there's fairly elaborate cryptography. It doesn't mean the pins are perfect, but they're pretty good. And uh, it's just when cards were started, gee whiz, 40 years ago, nobody ever thought that it'd be the important to encrypt the pan. So now the members of the card industry are thinking, well, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and maybe the same techniques we applied to uh, uh, protecting the pan from its point of entry at an ATM or, in the case of a debit card, at a point-of-sale terminal on a merchant. Maybe we could do the same thing with the uh, with the pan. What's the pan? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There I get into jargon. Personal <laughs> account number or what you would think of the 16-digit number that's okay. on the front of your card. Great. So uh, this has uh, taken on a new life uh, through a couple things. Um, Heartland Payment Systems, after they suffered their very large breach, uh, decided that they were going to personally implement a proprietary uh, encryption system for card numbers. Um, I should say even before that, the three three of the major terminal manufacturers, uh, Verifone, um, Hypercom, and Ingenico, had gone down this road because it is one way to address the dreaded PCI compliance issue, which has really been a major source of hassle and expense for merchants. And they were thinking, well, you know, if we just didn't have the card number, it wouldn't be a problem. And then Heartland jumped in, and, and they've been fairly vocal. They believe that hardware encryption is of the of the uh, card number at the point-of-sale terminal is the way to go, and they've built a complete system. I believe they licensed Voltage's uh, algorithms, and they built a terminal, and they're rolling it out to their merchants. Heartland's a very big player in the U.S. payment space. They process about 5 billion transactions a year, which I think uh, were, last I toted up my fingers is probably about 20% of the U.S. card transaction market. So for a major processor like them to say that as a cost of doing business, we're going to do this, it's uh, getting everybody's notice. On top of that, uh, the merchants have gotten more active in the uh, ASC X9 uh, standards group. These are the people that ANSI has, uh, for many years, delegated the development of financial standards to. And uh, ACI, like many companies in this business, participates in it. And so uh, uh, I was approached by some of the merchant people and helped them write a, a what's called a new work proposal. It was overwhelmingly approved, and now... Uh, ASCX9 is working on a standardized form of end-to-end encryption. And I must say that Heartland is being a great public citizen there. They're providing a uh, number of resources to work on it, which, as everybody knows in the standards organization, is what makes them happen. And I think you can expect to see that after some kind of standard comes out, they'll adopt it as part of their uh, systems. Other people participating in that are all the point-of-sale terminal manufacturers, the people who make cryptographic units for the payment industry. So there's a good chance, as there are with many X9 standards, that uh, once a solid standard comes out, eventually the industry will coalesce around it. And that's good because 
in, in encryption uses some cryptography, which is called format preserving encryption, which hasn't really been blessed yet. There are a number of proposals before uh, NIST, Voltages, and others, and uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology. But people would feel better if there was a standardized form of encryption because people don't want to spend a lot of money rolling out a brand new system and uh, and then discover that the bad guys can uh, you know bust through it with no problem at all. Yeah, here that's an issue with the end. Well, there's an issue with the fact that there's no standard definition for even what end-to-end encryption would mean, and then um, the fact that you know there might be a few di- few different systems out there um, and no standards. Right, because one of the hardest problems in these sort of things, which has been solved in pin cryptography, but is a is still a, a, a fairly complex. Uh, software and hardware problem is how do you describe the keys? In pin cryptography, for instance, we have zones, what we call key domains, that, for instance, you those one, there's a key shared between the point-of-sale terminal and uh, typically an acquiring processor like Heartland, and then uh, there's a key that's shared uh, between, say, Heartland and the brand that they're, if it's a MasterCard, there'll be one between them and MasterCard, and, and then there'll be yet another one out of MasterCard into the into the issuer that actually issued the card number, and they use yet another one for securing another disk. And we have a system to uh, do translation of the pin between those, but we also have a way to, to change those keys. In fact, in a fairly loaded system, uh, those keys change every maybe every eight hours. And so we have to have a key transmission system, and obviously you don't want to co- compromise that. And it all has to be done in hardware cryptography so that uh, the entire key is never in the clear at any time for any one person. We split it up uh, among multiple people and then XOR them together. And this has all been worked out. There are many X9 standards about that and much practice. And so when you start to think about how am I going to do card number encryption, well, first thing it says, what the heck, uh, we can use the pin keys. In fact, the pin keys are, are part of a... A triad. There's a key for message authentication, sort of like a hash code, a keyed hash code that allows you to prove that messages are haven't been tampered with. And there's another one that's a data one that's never been used much, and it would be obvious to use that. But you have to be careful because the pins are never in the clear, and so you, the bad guys, never have cryptotext to be able to uh, work back against the clear keys. But if the pan's ever in the clear, there's a big honking number there, and if somebody had the cryptogram, pretty soon they can start to do various uh, known known uh, ciphertext or known cleartext attacks, I'm sorry. So there's this is all the kind of stuff that's being discussed. And and uh, the nice thing about end-to-end encryption, well, now we get into, you know, not just standards but practical application of them, is you don't have to apply a clear from the time the card's swiped until it gets validated at the or used at the, at the issuer's database and maybe on the other side of the world. Uh, you can keep working upstream, and it turns out that's where most of the vulnerabilities are. So, for instance, Heartland, in their large processing system doing 5 billion transactions a year, they can implement their uh, card encryption system, but when it goes off into the brands without having to change the whole worldwide card network, they can put it back in the clear. And so there's a compelling uh, uh, cost there because that's where most of the fraud is. We don't, we don't see breaches typically at issuers or inside the backbone networks. We see them at the merchants or at the processors. Okay, great. Um, EMV, chip and pin, that's kind of one of the other proposals being floated around, especially because the U.S. is probably, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably the only industrialized country that hasn't gone to EMV. You know, Zach, that might be a pretty fair claim. I never thought about that. Um, EMV stands for uh, EuroPay, MasterCard, and Visa. It's a smart card uh, that 
the card brands through much painful negotiation, agreement, and testing finally agreed on. There's an EMV code that has specs on it, and this is the the card that the payment card industry has agreed on worldwide that we're going to use for payment transactions. And so uh, it's been rolled out quite extensively in Europe, and I think it went into deployment in the U.K. maybe as long as eight years ago. And uh, it's uh, Canada, I believe, comes online with that uh, maybe next year, and I believe Mexico is about on the same time frame. Uh, there are others. The nice thing about chip and pin, and the word it calls chip, the chip is on the, car- is on the card and the pin, it's actually you can do pin vera validation right on the card with mm-hmm. the chip. It's a little computer. And so uh, there are security aspects of, about this that are very good for what we call card present fraud. In other words, uh, stolen cards being used at merchants. Um, there's another kind we would call card not present, and that would be where you call, use it over the Internet or you call somebody up to order out of a mail or a catalog. But it has really made a dent in Europe in the uh, card present fraud, which was its intent. Um, the problem is, is or the situation is, there's a lot of costs in rolling out chip and pin. I think somebody around here told me a while back, anyway, that a couple of years ago it had been estimated as about a $15 billion project because the issuers have to issue new cards to all of the cardholders in the U.S. The merchants have to get terminals that read them. Um, fortunately, much of the backbone networks are all set up to handle it, and people like us who supply software to many of the processors, our software could happily handle that. In fact, that is one of the things that's nice about EMV is it's here today and proven, and, you know, it's about in version 3 or 4, and you can buy products throughout the entire payment chain that, that use it and are very cost-effective and, most importantly, have proven security and proven reliability. One of the concerns that the payment industry has is developing a new end-to-end encryption standard. Is It's going to take a while to get deployed. We want to make everybody's going to always be a little nervous about security until the bad guys have tried to attack it. So the proponents of EMV say, well, look, we're going to spend a lot of money on rolling out end-to-end encryption throughout the places like the U.S. and the rest of the world. Why don't we just use chip and pin? Because what happens is uh, the uh, the chip actually in a payment transaction produces a um, transaction digest that's signed. And we call it the... the tr- payment, the transaction cryptogram, and that comes, the payment networks are set up to pass that along. So it's very, very hard um, to, stealing the, the card number doesn't do you any good when you want to make a, uh, make a EMV smart card. You have to have the secrets that are inside it. Each key, each card has its own unique key, and the issuer knows what that key is, and so they can, uh, they can validate all the actions that the card does. The most recent um, technology props, uh, proposal out there was from the Smart Card Alliance talking about um, dynamic cryptograms with contactless technology. Right. Contactless is being well received. You, if you've been in a McDonald's or a 7-Eleven, you've probably seen contactless readers. Yeah. Now, there's one mode of that which was very easy to implement and has been getting implemented, and that's what we call MagStripe contactless. And essentially, the... Um, the contactless just is like if you swipe the magnetic stripe card like we all have in the U.S. through a reader. Instead of having to swipe it through it, it exchanges all that card information through the over the air. And that, that doesn't change anything. I mean, it just, in fact, it's maybe even less secure because now anybody sitting around listening, if they were nearby, could pick up the card details. But it was seen in convenience store kind of things, probably not where you're buying your wife expensive jewelry, but in a convenience store where you're doing lots of uh, small purchases and time and lane matters a lot both to the merchant and to the 
to the purchaser, it's pretty okay for that. Well, there's another flavor of that, which, of course, they're rolling out in Europe where they already have smart cards, and that's where it's a full EMV chip that talks, again, instead of the contact, it goes contactless. And when they say dynamic cryptogram, that means that the terminal sends information about the transaction up to the chip, and in the split second they're talking, it signs it sends back the signed cryptogram, just like when you do uh, the normal EMV contact, uh, such as you would see in an in a EMV reader in Europe. And so what the Smart Card uh, Alliance is saying, they have, there's a pretty canny bunch of people there. They, they've, it's always been the year of the Smart Card for the last 20 <laughs> years. So they, they have a lot of bruises, and there's some pretty smart people. And ACI is also a member of that organization because they are the important voice for Smart Cards, and we, of course, are very involved in Smart Cards, being one of the world leaders of EMV technology. So um, they said, well, look. You know, can't we find some middle ground here? We're already rolling out contactless. What if we just rolled out contactless EMV? Uh, we don't have to have, uh, you know, with dynamic cryptograms, we don't have to have such a big bang here because these are new form factors anyway with chips in them. Let's stop doing this mag stripe and start doing the uh, contactless EMV with dynamic cryptograms. And in some senses, that's a no-brainer. Uh, it costs a little bit more to do that, but um, it does provide better security and. If they can, uh, if they can get the various, uh, you know, players in the payment card thinking that they had, there's some sort of return on their investment for that, um, then, you know, they, this could coexist easily with the end. But it does start moving the U.S. toward DMB, and particularly if we saw fraud go down or consumers really liked it, uh, we might be in a better situation than if we didn't do this at all. So that they have a white paper off their site about this, which I'd recommend to anybody that's interested. It's quite well written and. They're not a bunch of wild-eyed crazies. It's a pretty well-reasoned argument they have, and and it's being, uh, you know, just informally. I can tell you within the payment community, it's being widely circulated. A lot of people are thinking about it. Uh, Sid, now if, if you had to look in your crystal ball and had to try to make a prediction, um, is there is there any way you think the industry is going to go? Do you you don't have to make a prediction either, but is, do you think that uh, there's going to be one that that, that that uh, wins out, or is it too soon to tell? Well, uh, so here, we'll take them each at a time. Um, I believe that end-to-end encryption is going to probably have it, have, could have it today, because Heartland and, and the people that are working on it are trying to make a real effort to get something out much faster than the sometimes three- to five-year time window it seems to produce an X9 financial standard. And since there are... Well, I can think of right now four competing standards of that. Um, that has value. So, for instance, our customers, um, we, we have many customers in the processing and the merchant community, and they come to us and say, hey, we use Ingenicom terminals. Could you adapt your software to do Ingenicom? And so we either make them pay for it or we pay for it out of our R&D, but then here along comes Hypercom and says, I'd like to do the same thing. And, oh, by the way, I actually have some Heartland terminals. I decided I don't want to be with Heartland anymore. Can you support that? So... Many players in the industry would like to coalesce uh, on a common standard so that it, we can get economies of scale. And, and again, there is that security issue. So I think with, because Heartland is willing to put up some, some resources to get this done, it's actually going to happen pretty soon and probably will come into play because there are already major deployments of each of these four technologies, mm-hmm. uh, three others besides Heartland. When it comes to EMV, EMV is in some form or other, is, is somewhat inevitable. And one of the complaints the Europeans have right now is they have to put mag stripes on the back of the cards because when people come over to the United States, 
to take advantage of the appreciation of the euro or the pound against the dollar, they uh, they have to they can't use tip and pin. They have to make stripe, and so there's a lot of uh, card not present fraud or mag stripe fraud that happens in the United States. So some of the power of the EMV chips is diluted because not everybody supports it. It's that kind of network effect, and the industry went through some tremendous pain putting that standard together. And even though there's still people that think it's a terrible thing, you know, cryptographically it works just fine. There, you know, it's a cloning chip card supposedly can be done, but I've never seen a practical or, uh, you know, a reported breach where it happened. So I think EMV is really the future. But it's probably going to be in the U.S., or it could be EMV contactless or some combination of the two. They actually have dual cards that have uh, both, uh, you know, the contact chip, but they have a, they can do the radio, too, so they can work as contactless. And it depends whether you like cards or you like key fobs or you like the back of the phone. And that's one of the important wild cards in the whole thing is the notion of using a phone as, uh, you know, uh, the, the payment instrument, uh, some combination of a bank card and a phone, there's many attractive aspects there. There's also a lot of politics and a lot of players because the telcos are nervous about doing business with the banks and the banks with the telcos, and we got all the handset manufacturers, and we got Apple, and, you know, it just goes on and on. So I don't know that I see with that shaking out. But I think uh, I think the Smart Card Alliance, we'll have to see. We'll probably know pretty soon in a year whether anybody's decided to pick that up because most of the contactless stuff is still in trials. And the interesting thing is I, I'm pretty sure, I haven't looked at this in a couple of years, but as I remember, the, the actual contactless hardware that's deployed in like McDonald's and 7-Eleven could probably do the, uh, the um, dynamic uh, cryptogram EMV with just a different software load into them. I think that's what they're claiming. That's one of the, the that's one of the advantages. Yeah. Cause the you know, so um, there you know it's there's just there's about 160 billion payment card transactions done a year, right? And it's a very large amount of money, and there's been billions and billions put in the investment. I mean, I just mentioned the idea of EMV, but when you think of all the ATMs, cards processing networks, blah blah blah, changing all that stuff casually is a is a big deal, and. As I think I, I may have mentioned before, it's always important when you're studying our industry to realize that there's there's five major uh, constituencies. There's the issuers who are first who give the card to the consumers who are second, then they present it to the merchants that are third, and then the merchant has to have a bank that can actually do the financial transaction. We call that the acquiring bank or the acquirer. Sometimes there's a processor, but anyhow, that's the uh, fourth point in the pentagram, and then there's there's the backbone networks that are always competing with each other: Visa, Mastercard, and of course Star and Pulse and Maestro, and all the debit card networks around the world. And trying to get everybody going in the same direction at the same time, it's always based on uh, how, what's in it for me. Why would I want to do this? How is this going to make me uh, make me make more money? Or in the case of the consumer, how is it going to be more convenient or safer? Because in the end, the consumer pays for all of it. And there has to be some value proposition that the consumer believes in that it's worth seeing increased prices at the merchant in return for the convenience and safety of a credit card or a debit card or a mobile phone. Well, we've been chatting with uh, Sid Seidner from ACI Worldwide. Thanks for joining us today, Sid. Sure, anytime, Zach. Take care.